0: You are listening to The 202 Studio, a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the District of Columbia. Throughout the series, we'll be talking with artists, humanities practitioners, organizational leaders and many others, individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight in organizations, studios and workshops in all eight wards. As we explore the heartbeat of DC's arts, humanities, creativity and culture to learn more. Visit dcarts.dc.gov. Today, we're joined in our studios here at 200 I Street by an artist who's been active in D.C. since, well, the early 70s at least. A gentleman whom Washington City Paper has called something of a legendary Washingtonian. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest, Bill (laughs) Worrell. Thank you. Hey, Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. I'm so impressed when I look at the work that you've done over your time in D.C., Uh, You're a D.C. native, as we know, and uh, you've been around the area for a significant amount of time. And so we just want to get to know a little bit more about some of the work that you've done, some of the work that you're doing now. And I also was going to add that when I was reading this article in the Washington City paper of a few years ago, it mentioned you as a painter, musician, filmmaker, curator, presenter, promoter. An all round patron of the arts. You've been busy. <laughs> I have. You have, well, I appreciate that. And I know one of the most recent things you've been working on is working as a visual artist. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I, I mean, it's where I started. Uh, when I was uh, in college, in the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, I had every intention of, uh, of being a painter on the scene. I was starting to make video starting to make some conceptual art. You know, that was the rage at the time. And uh, I was taught that if you didn't believe you were the best that could be, then you need to do everything you can to support other artists, which I thought was a pretty unique approach for a school, you know, to basically send you off into the, the art world with the notion that you can be a mover and shaker, not on the canvas, not on the screen, but behind the scenes. So uh, I... I headed back to Washington. Um, I started drawing as a young, young man, um, mainly to deal with um, uncomfortable pain. I mean, I was born with a, a syndrome that, that gives me anxiety in my body in different places depending on the day, depending on the hour. And I started drawing pictures out of magazines, started drawing portraits, and got fascinated by uh, history and the, the, the art of portraiture. D.C. is an amazing place to grow up if you want to look at great art. It was a natural for me to come back here and say, I need to do something in my city to bring some of the life that I learned in other places. You know, I spent a, a short time in New York at the the moment that the loft jazz scene was exploding, and I got very uh, passionate about Uh, about new music, about new jazz, about creative composition. So I I immediately became an audio engineer. I had no background other than being able to turn a recorder on and off, but I I learned very quickly. Um, You know, early on, uh, we just knew that we had to create something for the energy that Washington was feeling.
0: You know, so what was that energy? You talk about that sort of you know, expression that came out of that. What was Washington feeling at the time? This is, uh, give us a year or two. What are we talking about?
1: <laughs> well, we're talking about 1976 uh, was the year that I I first found the real estate, which was at the corner of 7th and E. And it was a, a building, one of the few buildings that had actually been constructed before the Civil
0: War. This is Northwest. Seventh. Northwest. You
1: know? 7th and E Northwest. Mm-hmm. It's now a Starbucks. So, a whole kind of community started to develop on those three or four blocks in downtown. Um, the Art Commission had, I mean, my recollection is yes, 50 years, but I'm talking about 42 years ago, you had just started making pretty significant grants to, sure. to uh, artists in the city. Okay. Larry Neal was, was the first director, if I recall, and Peggy Kaferts, who uh, became a, a friend and a long standing comrade in in making art happen in the city. Absolutely. The artists in Washington, you know, we're always tuned into the politics. I mean, that is something that's particularly unique to Washington. Yeah, especially here, yes. Uh, none, of yes. Us, none of us just make it in a vacuum. Right. We're here in Washington, D.C., a city that changes with the wind of the politics, but it doesn't change the core people that live and work here. And uh, we were also in that early stage as was the Arts Commission.
0: So this was also happening at the same time that there was a, a burgeoning sort of change in the music scene as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It, Go, Go-go music was was exploding. And, right. and, uh, and even the, the openness of Washington Performing Arts Society in the early 70s, when I first launched District Curators, um, or not early 70s, early 80s, and uh, W P I S came to us and said, look, we know you're tuned into world music, you're tuned into avant jazz, you're tuned into performance art and collaborative dance and theater. We want to do that too. And let's work together. And for three years, we did uh, a festival called Ninth Street Crossings. So we, we came together and we made some great work happen.
0: So, so let's talk about that. the D.C. space. Uh, tell us about where that started and, and what its roots were really focused on.
1: Okay. Uh, well, at the time that I spent in New York, and then I spent uh, working on this film project in Woodstock. The, at that same time, the kitchen in New York and uh, Sam Rivers' Rivbee Studios, I mean, all these, these alternative spaces were starting to bubble up. And they were, they were amazing, and, and they were bubbling up just at the time that a support structure for their work was starting to bubble up. Here in D.C., the Arts Commission, but also at the National Endowment for the Arts. It was growing to start including expansion arts, which was A.B. Spellman's brainchild, and, and uh, inner arts which was a place where they couldn't call it dance, they couldn't call it theater, and they couldn't call it opera, so it had to be something. <laughs> so th- new forms of supporting these organizations were starting to happen at the same time. So it really felt like, oh, my God, this is, this is a whole new world. And I got to say, the, you know, late 70s, 80s, even into the early 90s felt like the most exciting time. And of course, I'm being a little prejudiced. This was my time. (laughs) It feels like the most exciting time. Sure.
0: Well, it seems like there was a lot happening at that time.
1: Well, as I said, go-go music was exploding. Punk music was exploding. Reggae music was exploding. World music was, was a whole new Thing where every every time you turned over a rock, there was an amazing culture going on that we weren't celebrating because that's not the way America was founded.
0: So DC space was a was a physical space, but also a sort of collective. It sounds like
1: it was. I mean, I, I it, it was started by a group of people that I had gone to art school with, and some people here in Washington that I had known, some people that were students at the Corcoran. You know, it was kind of like. The, the time that we announced this was happening, uh, as I said, WPFW had gone on the air. We needed help sanding floors and painting, and we got on the air and said, "Look, this is going to be the home for the jazz that you're you're starting to present on air, and we need help." The next thing I know, we had volunteers coming out of the woodwork because of the radio station. There was a, a relationship there that has, you know, grown and continues to this day. But uh, the combination of the Arts Commission, the National Endowment, the radio, the performing arts, having this merger, all of it was starting to happen at the same time that a lot of young people uh, were looking for a place for their voice. And DC Space, it started out being the brainchild of half a dozen people. Next time, uh, it's a dozen people next year it's 20 people next year it's 30 people and then we're talking when i say people i'm talking about people who organize in their particular taste or their particular channel so it's kind of like what's happened with the internet now we can we can find what we really care about we're getting back to that we're getting back to valuing smaller art which i think is is where art is
0: made well, industry. you've always had this value, as you say, and, and then catapulted the next phase that you moved into. You mentioned earlier the district curators. Right. So how did, how did that go, and, and what were you working on with that project?
1: Well, we we truly outgrew D.C. space. We we bought a little barbershop that was attached to it and turned it into a bar. And upstairs was an art gallery for performance. But uh, we quickly realized we needed to rent the rest of this building to artists and other users. And that dividing... Performing arts and food and drink was a novel idea. It felt right. It felt good. But reality was people wanted to have a beer, wanted to have a tea, wanted to have some food. Can't we bring them back together again? So we did that. We moved it back downstairs. Within the first two years, some of the artists grew so quickly that we couldn't present them in this setting any longer.
0: And the city was changing then. There was a lot. There was a lot of development going on. You talk Absolutely. about, you know, all these sort of movements that were happening. Uh, being in a space downtown and setting up the way you did, sort of taking over multiple spaces, almost seems a little bit foreign now. Yes. You know, it's <laughs> almost <laughs> hard to imagine that. Um, but but that's kind of what you've done. You've done that wherever you've gone. You've sort of blazed this trail and said this had to happen. So uh, th- there's an interesting question that we'll get to, I'm sure. But it's the it's the idea of. Having moved from this uh, this uh, art study that you did, this you know intensive that was really about creating your your work as an artist, and uh, you're, you're you're now moving into community organizing yeah. and into artistic development and looking at how that affects the, the the culture of a city and how that participates in terms of even the economic development of the city. And I'm kind of wondering what's happening with your art career during this? What's happening with your, your sort of creative outlet of, uh, of your own, or does this become the new creative outlet during that time?
1: We we were dedicated to making the space work and making a movement work rather than individual artists. And as a result, I pretty much put it on hold. I mean, I, I uh, in probably the 15, 16 years of, of, uh, of DC space and the, the 20 years plus of District curators, I maybe made four paintings. And mm. here, here, this was, and and it usually came when an artist or a friend passed, and it mm. was it was my way of, of mourning, of my way of dealing with it. And um, you know, I, yes, it hurt. I always felt like oh, I'm going to get back to this, but right. I also felt like I didn't really have anything to say. And now I am painting, and now I've got a whole lifetime to look back on and some amazing people that I've known and worked with. And that's what I paint. You know, it's, it's
0: well, and, and that's interesting. And I want to go there, but I want to pick up a little bit where we were uh, in terms of how you sort of continue to move that trajectory forward, working with, uh, working with the city mm-hmm. and then eventually becoming a commissioner on the Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Tell us a little bit about that. How did that sort of come about? And, and where were you headed at that time when suddenly you're taking this turn to be involved with the commission?
1: Well, I mean it was a natural. Um you guys were downtown as well at the time and uh and I I met Peggy and we had a lot of similar uh visions for aesthetics and and where support in the arts were going and needed to be. Um, I started the nonprofit and started grant writing. Again, that 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 took over a whole chunk of my my life. I mean, I basically sure. uh Wrote grants did meetings did what it took to make things happen uh, at the time um, when curators started that's when we first started presenting away from DC space and my my first series was at the Corcoran uh, beautiful little auditorium sure there. and we did space at the Corcoran this was before the nonprofit was officially recognized mm-hmm. district curators Inc you know that, that transition period where you apply and you can't really get grants until you've gotten your it was that time period. <laughs> but in all of this, we also started a movement for making sure that arts activity started happening in the development. I mean, you're talking about development, yes. Uh, at that point, nobody cared about any of this property. You know, so I watched the music industry grow up. I watched the development of the, the entire region explode, but very slowly. I mean, it was kind of like a, a, a push and pull in the process. So we started... Um, A group, a number of uh, fellow commissioners, George Cook was one, um, and Peggy was involved early on, called uh, Ad Arts, Activity for Downtown Development in the Arts. I approach making art and making things happen kind of from a more of a Buddhist perspective. If you think of a sand mandala, that a a bunch of monks will spend weeks, sometimes months, uh, placing, and then the next thing you know, it's gone. Mm -hmm. And, And quite frankly, now, as an artist, doing this alley museum i i feel like yes you can maintain pieces but the whole idea of art outdoors is is not a museum you can touch it it's open 24 7 the weather's going to affect it you know it's 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 more life than an institution that chooses art put it on display and then tell the world this is important and the, and the rest of the world isn't
0: And let's talk about that because uh, in full disclosure, you were a recipient of a a grant from the Commission on the Arts and Humanities recently to create the Black Denali Museum. Um, but talk about the idea. What, you you were really involved in Plankton Alley because you lived there at one right. point, and that had gone through a significant amount of change, as I recall, um, sort of blighted at one point, and kind of the place you wouldn't want to go. If, and absolutely. when you thought about being downtown, that's the last dark alley you wanted to be in. But you managed to change that around. Where did where did that idea come from, and what was your plan, and, and how's that going?
1: Well, when we when we first started out, that was pretty much the way. All of downtown was like that. I mean, you <laughs> sure. could look at, think about yeah. Blagden Alley in its roughest times. That's really the way the perception of downtown Washington was: mm-hmm. forgotten retailers, and it, it 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 needed to change. And we changed downtown, and then as it changed, a lot of artists were were not able to afford to stay in some of these spaces, which is you know it's a, that's a natural transition. Uh, artists are always used by. Uh, the process and the smart artists use the process
0: now I think I've even heard you say a term or it was coined in, in an article that I read uh, you call it art washing <laughs> yes. I, I think that's I an interesting term but uh, it, it is to suggest that, that we do see that as a trend yeah. that uh, the arts will often go into a place largely mm-hmm. because of affordability issues mm-hmm. and they start to create a certain uh, um, scene that, that develops there and then obviously then that that follows with people who are attracted to be in that area, mm-hmm. but it's it's almost a catch twenty two, right? Absolutely. I mean, I I, I got to say,
1: I look back at my career. When you ask about ending up in Blagden Alley, that that was kind of the last edge of downtown. Mm. You know, yeah. that was that was moving into neighborhoods and out of a commercial district. Sure. And it was really the last edge of the artists that had kind of ruled downtown in a in a time that nobody cared. You know, they, they let the art happen to to being the last outpost. And and I, uh, in that same article, they talked about me as being the the last of the Mohegans of the artists in downtown. Mm-hmm. I was about to lose my studio, which I had in Blackton Alley for, you know, 13 years. And in that time, I watched Blackton Alley go through a pretty dramatic change, but the, the changes we were talking about had already happened downtown. So they were kind of crawling up, Hmm. uh, up 9th Street, up 7th Street, up into the area where uh, the warehouse was and where uh, the Fringe um, Theater Festival was going on. And the Ruperts, you know, there were a lot of people that took on their own little world to make things happen. And that's, you know, that's an out-of-pocket thing that make art happen. It's not always grants. It's not always uh, support. It's, it's people. It's individuals who are willing to dedicate their lives, their careers, their property, their own uh, money out of their own pockets right. to make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved that about Washington. There's a, there's a, a core in this city that, that are dedicated and that have careers in the arts, and they've stayed here. We lose a lot of artists because we are, we're a smaller market. And uh, that's not a natural
0: either. So it's interesting because, you know, one of the challenges we have uh, all the time is how do we maintain the inherent culture? Yeah. And how do we do that in, in the face of development and, and growth? But you've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. So where have you seen that in your time as being more successful? And even to the other extreme, where have you seen it being really problematic?
1: Young artists are always the future. It's like young people are the future of everything. Right. So mm-hmm. I have always enjoyed the fact that Washington, and, I, and I'll i go throw all the way back to that notion of the free museums. You know, Washington's a kind of a special place to grow up in the arts. There's so much going on that, that isn't national. There's so much going on that's local and so much going on that's national. And you have so many options. So for me, uh, keeping that vibrance for young people to, to recognize and grow with art uh, is, is critical. And we do it well here. I mean, I, I will say a big part of it is the Arts Commission. A big part of it's, you know, Ellington School. A big part of it's movers and shakers that dedicate their lives to protecting young people.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. And, and uh, I didn't need the plug, but I do understand that that's a, a valuable component of, of what we're doing here in terms of being able to, enhance the youth's experience with arts and humanities Mm -hmm. and knowing that, that, that we'll have dividends to pay off as we move on. Uh, so as we get ready to wrap up here, tell us about your work now that you're doing full time, really, almost you've you've moved away from being this mover and shaker, uh, within the community and you've uh, started to focus a little bit more on your art recently, had a, a show and you continue to work on it. Tell us about what's inspiring you.
1: Well, uh, kind of started in moving into the, the warehouse in Blagden because I originally did that with the intent to make feature films. You know, I I'd, I'd studied f- film direction and film production uh, much later in my career. Um, and as I turned 50, I developed two screenplays uh, with, with some artists. But I got, I got burned out on, on the uphill battle of trying to get uh, unusual film done. They were both going to be done here in Washington. So for me, it was the extension of my work in the arts. But the whole time I was beating my head against the wall, close to 10 years to get these developed, I I started painting again. Hmm. And I started realizing that I have a lot to say with my painting. And I started developing a body of work without really showing it other than inviting people to my studio. And then slowly I had my first exhibit in the hallway in our building. And then more and more things started to happen within Black Alley. Then we started talking about what happens when we're forced out? What happens when we're not here anymore? How do, how do we leave, uh, for lack of a better term, and a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about when I say it, but a Kilroy was here, which was an mm-hmm. expression from World War II. That I felt like this is what we're doing. We're gonna leave uh, our Kilroy was here mm-hmm. of the art scene. And we're going to leave it in Blagden Alley, where uh, it can start drawing people. The artwork that's there is just blossomed. I mean, the first four or five artists that were supported by a grant with the commission uh, did some gorgeous pieces. But then it started bringing other artists saying, I want to be a part of this. So now I'm able to go and invite my fellow artists that I've known for years that are based in this area to say, hey, I have a canvas for you. It's such and such as Garage Door. And they'd come and they'd look and they go, you know, I like that one, but I like this one better. <laughs> you know, we now have 16 pieces mm-hmm. um, and there's another 12, 13 doors and walls. So it's it's not finished yet. So when you ask, what's my work now? I want to see that be even more glorious than it is. I mean, the irony is that Black Alley is now swamped with people. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Unbelievable number of people coming to photograph themselves in front of our paintings.
0: I mean, it's sort of its become an icon. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new tourist destination, which Isn't is it? actually really interesting when you think about yes. the way that that helps preserve that space. Yes. And, and you see lots of people
1: out there photographing their kids in front of them. You, people having weddings, doing their—you know—weddings happen fairly regularly in the Longview Gallery, and you'll find. The bridesmaids or the, groom, the groomsmen out doing their portraits with their photographer in the alley, and you know you, I think Lady Gaga recently did a
0: post. Yeah, I think there. I saw that too. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that,
1: that that helps, but uh, we we've we've created a destination there, and I I think that's a lot of what art does, but it's but it's got to be a destination that can be continued.
0: Just one more question and we're going to have to wrap up. I I really hate to end this. It's been a great conversation and and hopefully we can get a chance to continue to invite you back and learn more about your great history that you have with the city. Um, But I I often think about, uh, you were talking earlier about the young people that we sort of have a responsibility to to feed and to be able to uh, continue this legacy. And so I ask, what kind of advice would you have for newcomers in the field of, of visual art, especially, which has been kind of more of your area, but any discipline that you, you're you quite experienced with? Well, um, visual art
1: is a difficult thing to work in <laughs> today uh, more than ever. I mean, the art market is, is very soft right now. And so for an artist to actually make a living at making art, is not easy. I mean, I'm now going to have my third show at the Fringe in the last two years but these are my first three shows my only shows. so at this age uh, I'm I'm making art but when mm. I was a teenager and when I was in my 20s I was I was taking in art mm. and realizing its value and that was what I say is you know critical we've got to continue to create the value with young people as they grow up because then they'll do what I did. And I, and I will say, I should probably repeat what I was told in Nova Scotia. If you're not gonna be a blue chip artist, be the, be the one who, who tells others and helps others understand the quality of
0: work. absolutely. And
1: recognize those blue chip artists.
0: Well, you've done that. You've done that for quite a long time. And thank you. Uh, I wanna thank you for your service to the district, your service to the commission and the time that you were here, and, and the gift that you bring to all of us through your work. And we wish you all the best, and we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks, Bill. Well, I I will only say it's been my honor. Ah, Well, ours as well. Thanks. You've been listening to The 202 Studio, a podcast series of the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to the commissioners and staff of the Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and special thanks to our mayor, Muriel Bowser, for her support of the arts and humanities in the District of Columbia. And thanks to you for listening today.